0: Hello and welcome to the Sherdog sure Radio Network preview for UFC on ESPN 23, also known as UFC Vegas 25. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of Sherdog.com. With me here as usual is Keith Schillen. Keith is the executive producer of the Sherdog sure Radio Network as well as the Loudmouth MMA Podcast Network. He is a contributor to Sherdog sure with such shows as MMA past, present and future, and of course the Shillin and Duffy show, of which he is the usual host. But I take the chair for these previews. It is my pleasure to have him here. How are you doing this evening, Keith?
1: I'm doing good, man. We got a we got an interesting card to break down. I'm really excited about the main event. I'm excited for you know some of the guys that are sprinkled out throughout, and and all in all, like there isn't a lot of gaps between guys. There wasn't you know one guy that this guy's a huge favorite. So I'm excited about that part of this card. So I'm ready to get into it. How you doing? Yeah,
0: I'm doing all right. Uh, I, I have no interest in recapping UFC 261 any further. You and I already did two hours on that on Fight Night. But after a card just that big, that kind of electrifying and shocking in some of the results we saw, there's bound to be a little <laughs> bit of feeling of hangover when you just go back to, all right, it's just another card this week. But... I mean, even by the standards of just another card, I'm looking at the undercard here. Uh, So six fight undercard, 12 total fighters. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven of them are under 500 in the UFC. Over Mm. half the fighters on the undercard are below 500 in the UFC. There's another one, two, three, that are either 500 in the UFC or debuting. So, for those you know who need to do their math at home, I think there are two fighters on the whole undercard that are uh, above 500 in the UFC. Having said that, though, there aren't any on really terrible losing streaks. So we have a lot of fighters who are motivated but not desperate. Like for a, a an undercard, this mediocre, just you know, say it frankly, the cut list might actually be kind of short. This. Uh, this uh, weekend. Well, I guess I guess we'll see. We'll talk about that uh, Saturday night. But unless you have any general uh, comments about this one, I'm just going to jump right into the prelims here.
1: All right, yeah. Let's get started.
0: Okay. Right out the gate, we have a, a featherweight matchup that sort of came together at the last minute as other fights fell apart. It is Luke Sanders versus Felipe Diaz-Colares. Uh, Sanders had been scheduled to take on Damon Jackson on this card. Colares was going to take on Journey Newson. Instead, with both those other fights falling out, they will meet one another in a fight that, to me, arguably, is more closely matched and more interesting than either of the other two. Uh, Sanders, the 35-year-old out of Tennessee, is 13-4 and four overall. He is 3-4 and four since joining the UFC, and I was shocked to realize, as I was doing research for this card, that Luke Sanders has been in the UFC for, like, uh, over five years. It just, he feels like a new guy in the UFC to me because due to injuries and other things, he's yeah. just been fighting like once a year. So I was like, oh, my goodness. He like he fought Maximo Blanco. And so, sure. yeah, that was a little, little shock to me.
1: I'm pretty sure that one was in Boston and I was there in attendance. So there I was a the Cruz Dillashaw card.
0: Yes. Yeah. January 2016. <laughs> it's
1: been oh, a while. Yeah. And yeah, and that, that fact that he's 35 is surprising. Like he still kind of feels like a prospect. Like he he's 35.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, still under, you know, well under 20 fights uh, total in his career. So there is that bit of feel uh, about him. Uh, he's going to take on uh, Colares. the 27-year-old Brazilian. Is nine and two overall. He is one and two in the UFC. He fought just once last year, and it was all the way back in January of 2020. He lost a uh, somewhat competitive decision to Montel Jackson at that one. Odds in this one do slightly favor Sanders. He is out there around minus 150 or minus 155. You can get plus at plus uh, 135 or so. Uh, Keith, the curtain jerker here. It's unlikely to get the insane reaction of the curtain jerker at UFC 261. It's probably going to be kind of quiet in, in the apex. But uh, who comes out with the win?
1: Uh, Well, this is an interesting matchup. I'll say that. It, it, like you said, I mean, it's a curtain jerker on a fight night card that isn't star strutted. But I think it's going to be a fun matchup based on their styles. Now, Sanders, again, he's a guy who has a prospect feel, though he's definitely not a prospect. He also had a buzz a long time ago. Like, he was a guy that people were excited about. And... When you look at his skill set he's south southpaw. he's a very aggressive striker he he gets in the pocket he can unload big shots he's got some good power in there he marches forward his straight left is his best below he's got some power but he does very he does much better being the bull than being the uh, a matador as he he likes to be the one pressing the action he doesn't really like being pressed uh his style is funny though because he wants to get in the pocket and, uh, and let his hands go, but he doesn't have good head movement in the pocket, so he gets tagged a lot. And he's been rocked in so many fights. I mean, like pretty much like his last five fights, he's been hurt, rocked. Uh, he's a good grappler, but he doesn't use it enough. And I would say he's just an okay wrestler and okay at BJJ. Like he can get you down, he can submit you. But he's—I wouldn't say he's strong in either one. I'd say he's like competent, uh, though he was submitted in his last match. Now move over to, and and I I I like how you said his name. I don't know if I can say it with, with as good as you did, Corrales. Uh, Corrales, yeah. Cal- Calaris, yeah. You have a uh, you're you're closer to Mexico than I am, so you can so <laughs> you do it better than I am. Uh, one thing I'll say about this guy, like he's not talented but he's so freaking tough. And I mean, obviously he's talented. He's in the UFC, but I mean, like when I say he's not talented, I'm talking about on a UFC level, you know, he's not Petra Jan. That's what I mean by it. Uh, the dude's tough as hell. I mean, you, all you gotta do is look at his last fight. And if, if you watch his fight against Montel Jackson, Montel Jackson beat the brakes off of him and he just kept going. And he like, he made me a fan because I'm like, dude, just quit, man. like, Every round was 10-8, and he just kept coming. He kept coming with a high volume and constantly moving forward. And then you watch all of his fights, and he's like that all the time. He's got some long legs, and he uses those well to kick, and he, but he follows his kicks. You know, he won't kick and stay on the outside. He kicks to follow it with his own strikes. I haven't seen much of a grappling game from him offensively, but he, he did hit a Japanese wizard, which is a high-level uh, judo-slash-wrestling move that you see which is fun to see. I think I don't know the last time i seen a Japanese wizard in MMA since Joe, I think Joe Stevenson did one against Luke Kumo on the, uh, I think it was season two of uh, the ultimate fighter finale. Uh, he's got weak takedown defense and he makes it worse by jumping to a guillotine. Like he kept doing that against Montel Jackson, but he has a good getup game. He was hard to hold down, but he gives up his back, which could be a problem against someone like Luke Sanders. So, this could be a matchup where both guys are fighting for the job. I'm not really sure. I think Kolaris is going to make it entertaining with his nonstop action and his never-say-die attitude. However, I think Sanders, though I, I didn't even realize he was 35 until you said it, I I knew he was older than I thought, and that definitely makes me more worried now, and, and I wasn't confident in picking him to begin with, <laughs> but he's in a weight class where age doesn't. You know, the older you get, it doesn't, it's not heavyweight. It's age matters, 35 matters. But I think, I think he can get inside, land some heavy shots, win some wrestling exchanges. But I think it's going to be some fun scrambles. I think it's back for, I almost picked this fight right off the start to be my fight of the night. Uh, but I end up, I'm going to end up taking Sanders by decision.
0: Great. I feel a lot of the same things you'd hear. My, my concern with Sanders, I mean, other than the fact that he is now moving into his mid-30s in a lighter weight class, that he's been injured, you know, and that his game has run on plus athleticism, you know, a, a lot of the time. My other concern with him is uh, he sort of has an off button. When when I look at his losses in the UFC, they're usually fights he was winning. And, and you mentioned that he's very hittable, that he he takes a strike that either just ends the fight or changes the whole complexion of the fight. Like, most recently, he was, I I thought he was handling uh, Nathan Maness, Uh, and then Maness came out in the second round, lost maybe the first 30 or 45 seconds of that round, then just hit him with, like, kind of a hook or something that rocked him a little bit, and it was all downhill from there, and he just, he couldn't recover, Maness was all over him. And I I feel the same way about, uh, you know, his early loss to Yuri Alcantara, I thought he was winning that fight until he lost it. You know, hani Yaya is the only guy I can think of that just ran, ran straight through him, and that's Hani Yaya. Luckily for Sanders, Kolaris, he hasn't shown me that he has that in his arsenal. Like, e- even if he hit Sanders a few times, he, he's not a huge puncher or, or kicker. You know, he's much more of an opportunist on the ground. So I'm with you. Uh, give me Sanders in a fun, entertaining fight here. Probably a lot of kind of scramble-heavy groundwork because Kolaris is— Like, Sanders will shoot takedowns, and Kalardis will accept them probably by grabbing a guillotine and just jumping the guard, like you said. I'm picking Sanders not to actually get tapped by any of those, spend some good time on top, maybe get swept a few times. This should be a real fun one, but give me Sanders by decision as well. Next up on the UFC Vegas 25 prelims, it is Greece versus Canada, as Andreas Mikhailidis and KB Buller both uh, seek to rebound from losses in their respective UFC debuts. Mihalidis, the 32 year old Greek, is 12 and 4 overall. He is 0 and 1 in the UFC, having debuted at UFC on ESPN 13 last July and gotten beaten to a doctor stoppage between rounds by Modestus Bukowskis. He'll be taking on Buller, the 29 year old Canadian, is 8 and 1 overall. He is 0 and 1 in the UFC, uh, having debuted last October at UFC fight night, Marais versus Sandhagen. And gotten knocked out in short order by Tom Brees. The odds heav- uh, heavily favor Mikhailidis here. He is minus two hundred and fifty, where Buller is around plus two hundred and ten. Uh, I, I look at these two guys, and I see some general similarities in their game. They're, uh, you know, both strikers by preference. Uh, Mikhailidis, you know, more of an outstriker by by preference. Buller, in spite of being like such a tall and lanky. Light heavyweight is more of a come forward guy. Uh, you know, uh, comes forward, likes to, you know, uh, pressure for the counter. I, I I saw a lot of feints from him in the very brief appearance he had against uh, Brees, where basically it was a two minute fight. He won the first minute and he lost the last minute. But uh, I am not sure that Buller, I, I don't think he's good enough to make his game work against UFC light heavyweights is the easiest way I can put it. I just don't, I don't see that at this point in his development based on the few uh, fights in Canada I saw and the one fight against Brees. I'm I just, I'm just not sure he's UFC material at this point, where I do still hold out hope that Mikhailidis is. Uh, Mikhailidis, he ran into Modestus Bukowskis in his debut, a guy that wants to do mostly the same things, but is taller, uh, greater reach. And while I don't think Bukowskis is any great shakes either, He at least had a few UFC bouts under his belt and just was more comfortable in there. I think maybe if these guys fight in the year, Mikhailidis beats Bukowskis. I think uh, on Saturday, he definitely beats Buller. Uh, I mean, if you want to call this the lock of the night, I think he has a pretty easy night of work. And I'm going to say he knocks him out. You know what? I'm going to say he knocks him out in the first round. Buller likes to come forward. He's not going to like what he gets back. Mikhailidis by first round TKO.
1: Wow. You uh, pulling out the lock of the night early. I love it. I almost pulled out the fight of the night early. <laughs> but so I'm going to go with Mikhailidis first, break down him just because you've been saying his name and it's on my tongue. So I think I can pronounce it correctly. And I didn't want to take a chance doing Bueller first. Uh, I think your breakdown was really, really solid. A lot of the notes that I was going over are very similar notes. Mick Helios is not a great athlete. That's the thing that I saw from kind of a thudding kind of guy, probably a guy in high school. If, you know, if he was American, he'd be more of the D tackle than the running back kind of thing. <laughs> but, but like the D tackle, who's, you know, constantly has a big piece of grass hanging from his like uh, helmet that he won't take out. And he, it's it's january and it's negative 10 outside and he refuses to wear sleeves like he's i feel like he's that kind of guy um he hits hard as you point out you mean you're picking on to get an early knockout he hits hard a lot of kicks a lot of um hard kicks i like that he targets the calf kicks and i also like that as you mentioned that both strikers we have seen mick kailidas look for takedowns and just by even though he's not a strong wrestler, having the threat of takedowns will open up other strikes. Uh, though, from some fights I seen in the regional scene, I know we didn't see in the UFC, but in the regional scene, he's gassed out deep, um, and that's probably because he loads up on everything. Move over to Bueller, Southpaw. He's as you mentioned, he's a long and lengthy guy. I've been really – I've noticed through my breakdowns I talk about how much guys switch stances. And I've been really trying to take out switch stances because it's just became such a part of MMA that a, when I talk about people switch stances, now I'm only going to try to talk about guys who really fight from both stances for long periods of time. And that's actually what Bula does. He likes to switch stances and fight from both. <laughs> but he's not that good in the stance, if I'm being honest. <laughs> uh, uh, his boxing needs improvement. He throws a lot of arm punches, not a lot of power. He keeps his hands low, give himself a big target. He's his little stationary target um, with his chin high, though. He throws a lot of kicks. That's his game. Kicks, hard kicks, but he wastes energy, like throwing flashy stuff that don't work. Like He'll do like a um, spinning wheel kick that misses by six feet. Like he'll just waste his energy doing stupid stuff like that. But he's also gassed out himself in fights. I'm not nearly as confident as you is, as I'm not as high on Michelitas as you are. I think this is a battle where both guys could be fighting for a spot in the UFC. I am gonna go with Michelitas because when I look at them, I see Michaelitas as a low level UFC talent. Like he looks like someone who could be on the contender series or or, you know, where he is right now in the bottom of uh, a fight night. I don't really see that with Bueller. Like I feel like Bueller got his contract being at the right place at the right time. So I think he catches Bueller. And I'll say, would you? You said, you said first round? Okay, yep. so I'll, I, I originally put first round in my notes too, but to uh, break it up, I'll go second round.
0: We move all the way down to the straw weight division for a meeting between uh, Konklak Supisara, who we will call Loma Lukbunmi for the remainder of this program, and Sam Hughes. Uh, Lukbunmi, the 25 year old, the first uh, Thai fighter in the UFC is five and two in her brief thus far mixed martial arts career. She is two and one in the UFC. She'll be taking on Hughes, who is also five and two overall. She's a 28-year-old who is uh, 0-1-1 in the UFC, having gotten uh, beaten into a corner stoppage between rounds by Tisha Torres back in December. The odds heavily favor Loma Lukbumi here. She is minus three seventy-five. Hughes around plus three fifteen or so. Uh, in one of the columns that I wrote coming into fight week, I listed uh, Loma as one of a handful of fighters who's under a little additional pressure to really perform in this fight. She has all the makings of a UFC star. She's a multi-time world Muay Thai champ. She and she is aggressive and has a fast pace even by the standards of 115 pound muay thai fighters which is saying a lot uh she has just kind of a charming enthusiasm to her which you know it'll only help as she sticks around you know if she continues to improve her english the only part really missing is she needs to beat decent straw weights and her problem is that she's an atom weight in a division or in a promotion that doesn't have an atom weight division i mean we're We'll be talking next week about Michelle Watterson, who has carved out a surprisingly strong resume in the UFC despite being a natural atom weight, but she's the exception. Generally speaking, it has been tough sledding for atom weights that have been pulled up to the UFC. I mean look at look at Jeannu Fry. She went from being okay. one of the top three atom weights in the world to being right on the verge of getting cut from the UFC within about a two-year span. like she probably saved her job last month when she won.
1: Um, I would say, t- t- sorry to interrupt you, Tisha Torres probably too.
0: Absolutely. Like, Tisha Torres is one that I just don't think of her as an atom weight because she's been but, in the UFC so long, yeah. but she's tiny.
1: But she's the point t- is, the point is saying, despite them two girls having success, there's a ceiling to their six because of the size advantage.
0: Well, yeah, exactly, because... Even if these people, you know, Tisha Torres, who, I mean, she has a brawniness and explosion and physicality to her that a lot of these other women don't. But even if these women survive and hold on to the roster spot, at the top of that mountain is someone like Young Jacek. Do you know how, how silly, like, the size differential? W- w- we've seen it. We've seen when Yuwana uh, has taken on some of these uh, tiny uh, yeah stro- and,
1: and, and sorry to interrupt you again, Torres has never actually fought an animal. Adam White, I I believe. I think we just we just kind of look at her and say, "Oh, she'd make Adam White."
0: Yeah, because she looks about the size of, um, yeah, one of them. (laughs) Anyway, I I feel as though this is a bit of a setup fight for her. I mean, Hughes has she has some potential. She has some bright spots, but really, she's been beaten badly by the two UFC level fighters she's fought. Uh, She lost to uh, Vanessa Demopoulos. You know, got highlight reeled by her back in LFA. And that was the fight that got Demopolis onto the contender series. But even there, I mean, she was losing the fight until she got uh, a inverted triangle choked. And then Tisha Torres just crushed her. I mean, mean, easy ten eight round, just, you know, beat the crap out of her. So I, I don't, even though Hughes is more of a real straw weight in size, I think this is just a, a bad setup fight i don't think she's going to be able to just bully loma around like angela hill was able to and stop her from doing what she wants to do so i'm expecting a a muay thai clinic from uh loma we're gonna see lots of just lightning fast kicks to the legs and body if they get into the the clinch i don't think hughes is going to be able to protect herself the way someone like hill was able to and she's going to start eating uh elbows and short punches and knees i don't know about a finish i you know, I I'll believe in Loma's finishing ability against UFC-sized strawweights when I see it, but give me uh, Loma Lukumi by a very impressive-looking unanimous decision.
1: Yeah, so Loma, the the thing about being an atomweight fighting against strawweight is you can use some advantage to it, and the big advantage is having a speed advantage, and that's what you see with Loma. Like she's already going to be a fast striker based on her background and muay thai but she's she looks really fast like you take her last fight, and, i don't know if it's the last fight but the Ginger fry fight was the one that keeps i think that was the last fight i yeah. I should pull these records up before because i always refer to fights and then I'm like, fight. no, i was like that's the last fight or i was like or was that the last fight i watched today of them <laughs> um but she's you know she's got fast hands she has fast kicks she has that, as you mentioned, she has a Muay Thai style. So a lot of her strikes come from the traditional Muay Thai, like, favorites. Like, she loves the teep kick out the middle, which you see a lot in Muay Thai. Uh, and she's got a killer plum kinch. Going back to the Jin Yu Fry fight. Jin Yu Fire is, even though she's an atom, she's a physically imposing figure. Like, she's got muscle on muscle. She's she's ripped. She gets the, she's the like, the best abs in MMA. <laughs> and and she still couldn't get out of the plum clinch because... Labumi, she gets the right angle. She pushes against the cage. She, she frames and creates enough space to start landing in close elbows, start landing in close knees. And she brutalizes you there. They're not just, they're not slicing. They're not ricocheting. Their thudding shots. The one weakness is obviously you said she can be out muscled, but it's her takedown defense. Like she, we haven't seen, I've seen her taken down and I haven't seen an improvement there yet. Now move over to Sam Hughes. I think I'm a little higher on Sam Hughes than you are. um the Demopolis fight, I actually I actually thought she was winning that fight. Yeah, you know, early on. I don't I don't remember how like you know, was she winning when she got triangle what's it come from? Her. I remember thinking she was doing very well. I could be wrong. Uh, well she and
0: pr- to be fair, I haven't watched the complete fight since the night it happened. Sure. So sure. you know, I yeah. I might be wrong.
1: Yeah. Uh Hughes is a, a a composed striker. Like she stays pretty composed. Uh, Good, good boxing. I would say mostly boxing. i like her vision. You see, she seems like she sees punches coming out and she reacts pretty well. Uh, I'd say fast hand speed, nice jab, good overall movement, mixing in leg kicks, mixing in takedowns, but I haven't seen much on the ground from her either offensively. And then when I've seen her defensively, she got, like you mentioned, she got submitted by Vanessa Demopoulos, who I'm not that high on at all. As, as a prospect going forward um, So Who do I think is going to win Now you're saying this is a setup fight I don't feel that way And the reason why I don't feel that way Is for one reason only Now Labumi is, th- is over a 3 to 1 favorite I mean she's she's a massive favorite However there's a, As you mentioned She's always undersized But it might be even bigger in this fight Because Labumi is a form of atom weight Hughes is a form of fly weight so there actually is a two-weight class difference for them at one point. Now, I'm not saying she might have been undersized. Probably she was undersized flat weight. That's why she's fighting down. But that's that's the big thing. Skill-wise, I agree with you. Labume looks like the better fighter. I'm going to go with Labume based on Tisha Torres being undersized and still was able to use her speed. And Fantas Hughes took the fight like that week. In her UC de- one it's her UC debut. Two, she's taking on short nose. Three, she's getting Tisha Torres in her debut. So it's like three strikes. <laughs> you know she didn't have it, but uh, Labume can mimic Torres's speed. She can move her, into her, her footwork, and in fantasy she probably has a little more offensive offensive uh, tools in the striking out realm that Torres doesn't have. And the other thing that stands out to me is when you want to really Lean on your size advantage. You go to the clinch. Do you want to go to the clinch against Labumi? That's that's uh, it, it. Could be a big big problem. So I, I'll take Labumi. I'm. I think Hughes is tough. I'm gonna say that Hughes survives. Give me Labumi by decision.
0: Next up, it's the featherweights as Kai Kamaka the third takes on T.J. Brown. Kamaka, the 26-year-old Hawaiian is 8-3 overall. He's 1-1 in the UFC. Uh, He debuted last year. He won his debut over Tony Kelly at UFC 252 in August, then came back and got knocked out in the closing seconds of the second round by Jonathan Pierce at UFC on ESPN 18 in November. Pierce, of course, who appears right after him on this card. He'll be taking on Brown. The 30-year-old is 14-8 overall. He is 0-2 since joining the UFC out of Season 3 of Dana White's Contender Series back in 2019. Uh, He lost to Jordan Griffin, getting uh, choked all the way out with a guillotine last February. Came back and lost a unanimous decision to Danny Chavez at UFC 252 in August. The odds are fairly close on this one, but Kamaka is the slight favorite. He is minus 150, minus 155 or so, and you can get Brown on the comeback at plus 135. Keith, uh, who do you like in this one, and how?
1: Well, I like the matchup first of all. This is—I uh, almost picked this one as my fight tonight. night. This is a really intriguing matchup. I think we have some really fun scrambles. I'll start with Kamaka. Kamaka is pretty well-rounded. Uh, he fights behind a high guard defense, decent power. He has a wide variety in his attacks. I love that he doesn't just headline it. He will target the body. He makes it a big part of his game. Uh, and he loves getting in the pocket and unloading power shots, power spe- specifically his hooks. Uh, I go back to the Tony Kelly fight. I think that was such a fun fight, but he was blasting Tony Kelly with his left hook over and over again. Uh, he, because he does enjoy a brawl, he gets hit a lot. He's willing to eat one, to take one. Uh, I love that. He looks for stepping knees I love that he like like the fighter we were just talked about, Labumi. He she, he throws deep kicks down the middle. He's also very just physically strong. You see him; he's absolutely ripped. He's shredded. He's a big guy for the weight class. He's a he does have a former uh, background in wrestling. He's an NCAA AA wrestler, though. He's been taken down by much lesser wrestlers because of his brawling style. Like he's he kind of wings. It. He has a little Dan Henderson in him, where he starts letting the hands go, and suddenly lesser wrestlers are taking you down. Also, he gassed out against, and he still won, but he gassed out against Tony Kelly. Now, mind you, that was a brawl. That was a nonstop action brawl. And then a little bit in his last fight against Jonathan Pierce is probably why he lost. He just had to get taken down by a lesser wrestler and then uh, then ground and pounded because he was tied. Now, moving on to TJ Brown. Brown TJ Brown's guy from the Contender Series, as you mentioned. He was one of the guys I liked in the Contender Series coming in. Uh, He's your classic wrestle boxer. He has a short, short jab. Like, he doesn't really extend it up, but it's quick. Uh, he uses it more in the pocket. Nice straight right. He's got some power in his straight right. Throws lots of kicks for a wrestler. Likes to throw, sneak in the high kick. Though, I think there's a lot of negatives defensively. He drops his hands. He keeps his chin high. He's been seen to be rocked in every single fight he's been in. Um, he is a solid wrestler. He can catch his kick and take you down that way, or he just has a good reactionary double. He's a, he's an entry guy. He's going to come in on your hips and drive. I, I like that he chain wrestles together, together, you know, takedown attempts. He doesn't just shoot one shot and give up. He'll, you know, tap the leg. You change your stance. He comes across the other side. Like, he's very good at chain wrestling. You can see he's, a, he's just a very good wrestler. But when he gets you down, solid top control. He mixes in ground and pound and submissions well he's not one or the other and he's a threat on the ground he's got nine submission wins with like the head and arm triangle kind of being his go-to this is a really good fight it's a battle between two guys that when they came into the ufc i kind of like both of them going forward like brown's much better than his record indicates however i've been pretty disappointed with their performances like i feel like they're i mean as, even though i just said his record is he's better than his record indicates you still need to get results. And I feel the same with both these guys. I feel like they're not getting the results. Brown is probably the better wrestler, even though Kamaka comes from a NCAA background. I think Kamaka is probably the better overall striker. And he's a little bit bigger and more physically imposing. Both of the guys are inconsistent, so I, I don't have any um, trust in this. But, man, I, I'm literally looking at my notes and picking Kamaka <laughs> – and I go. I don't trust him. I want to go with Brown, and then I'm like, No, I don't want to take Brown. I don't <laughs> trust him either. So, uh, can I pick a draw? <laughs> like, some, some weird thing happens, and it's you no, know, uh, you know what? Either way, I'm going to pick the wrong guy. So, give me Kamaka. That was what I have in my notes.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Is that a decision? Yeah, a decision. You know, I I see their uh, respective skill sets very much the same way you do the, the place where I'm going to differ from you is that while, I mean, Kamaka just looks ripped and he looks like a specimen. I think Brown is going to be the visibly larger guy in the cage. I, th- I think he's going to be, I don't know what the reach will look like, but I think he's going to be a little taller, a little broader, just a, a heavier looking guy. I fully expect Kamaka to win the first round easily. Uh, and probably any way he wants, if he wants to keep it on the feet, he he's, Got you know faster hands and feet. Uh, I think has a more complete arsenal of strikes and you know will probably uh, piece Brown up for that first round, especially as Brown just comes straight at him. My question will be if he fades later on because that makes his defensive wrestling, which already, as you pointed out, isn't as good as it might be for a guy whose offensive wrestling is as good as Kamaka's. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take Brown in this one, and I'm going to take Brown by losing the first round and probably winning the second and the third. Uh, if Kamaka gets tired enough, maybe we even get some sort of just like mercy kill finish as he's exhausted on the ground. But Brown is the guy that I feel safest saying is fighting for his job on this card. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm picking him to get the thing done and uh, keep his place in the UFC for at least another fight. Uh, give me Brown by decision.
1: So I'm so happy I went with Kamaka so we could have some difference. It was not that I switched my pick to the same guy you picked. Well,
0: well, as as you started to talk yourself into Brown, I was like, oh, no, are you kidding me? (laughs) But having said that, by fight night, we'll probably forget who we picked because, like, this fight is just so close and and weird to pick.
1: (laughs) It's going to be a frustrating one. (laughs) It's just going to be frustrating. but It's going to be frustrating,
0: but also fun. Yes, I I totally co-sign on that one. Staying in the featherweight division, next one up at UFC on ESPN 23 features Gabriel Benitez versus Jonathan Pierce. Benitez, the 32-year-old Mexican, is 22-8 overall. He is 6-4 since joining the UFC out of the first season of Tough Latin America. Uh, Fought twice last year. He lost a decision to Omar Morales at UFC Fight Night Smith versus Teixeira back in May. Uh, came back and put away Justin Janes with a uh, crushing knee to the body and then some elbows at UFC on ESPN uh, 19 in December. Who will be taking on Pierce? The 28 year old is 10 and 4 overall. He is 1 and 1 since joining the UFC out of season three of Dana White's contender series back in 2019. His UFC debut was uh, spoiled by the ageless Joe Lozon, who just completely thrashed him in about 90 seconds came back and uh, knocked out Kai Kamaka, whom we just finished talking about at UFC on ESPN 18 uh, back in November. The odds on this one do favor Benitez. Uh, he is minus 210. You can get Pierce at plus 170 or plus 175 or so. Uh, Keith, who have you got in this one? Well, before I break down this fight, I got re- to apologize to um, Kolaris
1: in the first fight. I... I- I referenced him as being Mexican, as I remember there was a Mexican on the card. He's not a Mexican; he's Brazilian. But and, cl-
0: closer to Mexico is also closer to Brazil. So, like that we're, is we're true. Okay, what happens is he has such a Mexican,
1: you know, the classic Mexican style, and yeah. you know, Calaris is you know similar to a Spanish last name. <laughs> Some reason I, I remember there was a Mexican on the card, and 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 he fights more like a you know the classic blood and guts Mexican, uh, Benitez. It's kind of the opposite. He's a, he's a southpaw who's very technically sound. He's not a brawler at them all. he uses movement really well. Uh, sets up. He, he's got a really good jab. It's probably his best weapon. Uh, accurate left hand. You know his power. His back rear punch left hand. Uh, not a lot of tells. Everything's short, quick. Nice, nice power. He works the body. Uh, he loves to go to, with body kicks, and he has elite leg kicks. I mean, that's what he always. I mean, as soon as he comes out, the the team, the commentary team is going to be talking about his leg kicks. He's a good grappler. He doesn't use it nearly as enough, but um, training with American Kickboxing Academy and all the wrestles there, you got to have you know some wrestling. Move over to Pierce. Pierce is uh, you know Contender Series guys. I'm very familiar with him. Pretty athletic, more athletic than his like physique looks. He doesn't yeah he's not really even though he's a light awake guy he's not sh- like shredded uh, decent jab accurate right hand though he's boxing I still say it needs a lot of work he's mostly a kicker on that's his main tool from the striking he throws a lot of kicks he likes to throw like a flying knee has a lot of defensive holes he gets hit a lot because he lacks head movement um, can drop his hands at time. He is solid in the clinch. It's 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 like a safe zone for him. It's actually where he did well and against Kamaka. Go grind in the clinch, kind of just lean on you. Uh, he's got some good violence in the clinch. Like he's just a what's the word I'm looking for? Just a, just a violent like get in there, slicing elbow, knee, knee. He's and, a mauler. He's a mauler.
0: mauler. In there. there you go. That's yeah. a good.
1: That's a good. The mauler. Yeah, he's a grinding mauler. Like he'll. You give you that short Charlie horse you know, with the knee to the leg. Uh, he will look for body lock takedowns. That's where his wrestling comes in, not necessarily on entries. I've seen him do a lot of lateral drops on the regional scene, which will not work in the UFC, especially the higher he goes up. Uh, but I would say his wrestling is okay at best because he's limited in his attacks. Once he's on top, he looks to pass guard. Busy ground and pound from on top. But if he's taken down, uh, he gives up his back to get up, which is obviously very dangerous. And his cardio is questionable. He has slowed down in fights, even fights on the regional scene that he was much better, you know, than the guy he was going against. So we've been talking about the odds, and we always give out the odds for the for the card. And it's funny because I'm looking at the odds, and for this card, uh, the biggest favorite. I think is Sean Strickland. No, no, no. Oh, Luma, 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 sorry. And honestly, like, I don't, and I've been saying like a lot of the fights need to be closer in the odds. This is the one I think it needs to be a bigger gap. I think Gabriel Benitez should be close to a three to one favorite. He, I just can't get past Jonathan Pierce getting smoked by Joel Ozan in 2019. Like that still sticks in my memory, maybe because I was there in attendance, I think Benitez is going to style on, John, on Jonathan Pierce on the feet. I think – I don't know if he gets – if he, he doesn't turn up the volume enough at times and kind of – I don't know if he has a killer instinct to put a guy away. But I think it's the unanimous know, decision. I think he gets a, like m- multiple 10-8 rounds. And this is my lock of the night. Give me Benitez by decision.
0: Yeah, I – Benitez, you know, I'd said off the top, or you know, in the first fight that I was kind of surprised at how long Luke Sanders has been in the UFC. Every time Benitez fights, and I kind of go scrolling back, I'm like, man, he was on the first season of Tough Latin America. He's been in the UFC for almost seven years now. It's like I just feel old when I think about that. Because I I think of him as part of that that very first crop of guys coming out of that very, fir- that very first season of Tough, and now he's been in the UFC for over six years. Uh I, I love your breakdown of uh, of his striking. You know, great southpaw jab, great uh, low kicks. I see routes to victory for Pierce. Like you, I like his clinch. He's got a good tall man clinch. He understands his advantages in leverage when he gets to the clinch. And I think part of the the reason for his offense from there is that, you know, he's he feels safe, relatively safe there. He knows he can get an arm or a leg free to punch, elbow, knee more easily than the guy he's kind of leaning on and and crushing with pressure. But between Benitez being defensively sound, between him having a evidently better gas tank, and probably just being better most places than than Pierce, I'm feeling the same you are. You know, I don't know if I see a finish here, although if Pierce gets tired, Sooner than I expect, and Benitez just kind of keeps rolling at his deliberate pace. Maybe he does get a a stoppage late, but uh, give me Benitez by a pretty lopsided decision as well. The featured prelim at UFC on ESPN 23 features the newest addition to the strawweight division against possibly the most experienced fighter in the strawweight division, as it is Luana Pinheiro meeting Randa Marcos. Uh, Pinheiro, the 27-year-old Brazilian, is making her debut. She appeared on Dana White's Contender Series in November of last year, uh, knocking out Stephanie Frausto in the first round. She is 8-1 and one overall. She'll be meeting Marcos. The 35-year-old Canadian is an even 10-10-1 overall. She is 6-9-1 in the UFC. And after a span of several years where she basically alternated wins and losses. She is on a three fight losing streak, the first losing streak of any kind in her career. Although in Amanda Hibas and Mackenzie Dern, the first two losses there were perhaps excusable, uh, but she lost a pretty straightforward decision to Kanako Murata at UFC fight night Felder versus Dos Anjos back uh, last November. The odds do slightly favor Pinheiro, the uh, debuting fighter here. She is out there at minus 175 or so. Marcos at plus 155. The the problems I see here for Marcos are she does well in fights where she has a grappling advantage and where her opponent does not have too much of a strength and athleticism advantage. That being said, Pinheiro is kind of a tough ask for her because she is a strong woman. Just, you know, physically strong, uh, explosive athletes. And she is a high-level Judica. Like, this is exactly the kind of fighter who's going to be able to chuck Brandon Marcos onto the ground, and then Marcos won't be able to get, like, a nifty, uh, you know, submission or or sweep off her back to take control of the fight back. Uh, Marcos is probably a more polished striker than Pinheiro at this point. She's always been a pretty willing striker. Uh, You know, she's still not a great one. But based on what I've seen out of Pinheiro so far, she might be better than Pinheiro, but I just don't think it's going to matter. I think Luana Pinheiro is going to crash the pocket, put her hands on her, chuck her on the ground. And Marcos is, you know, still super tough, super wily. She is a very good grappler. Like she's, you know, even if she can't tap someone out, she's generally good at taking care of herself on the ground. The people who have, tapped her out aside from you know like Courtney Casey which hey, you know it happens and then Mackenzie Dern who does that to everybody so I can't pick a finish here but I'm picking Pinheiro to look real good in her debut make a great impression and uh, you know it'll be just us wondering kind of what's next for this uh, much needed new face in the 115 pound division give me Pinero by a lopsided decision
1: wow yeah, um I definitely agree with what you're saying when we talk about the way to beat Marcos, you know, she needs to have a wrestling advantage or just be stronger, you know, and that's I don't think it's gonna be the case in in this fight at all. Now, on the feet, Marcos is a I'm say, an average striker, nothing really jumps out to me kind of has a, mostly a boxing style. She really... She does generate some power because she sits on her punches a little bit. And she fights in blitzes. She does good to, like, come into come into her range, unload in a combination, and get out. Uh, and she throws combos, too. Um, but... She... She she can win in the clinch. You know, she can get in the clinch. She's physically strong. And she's an okay wrestler. Like... You know she's not Tatiana Suarez. Like she, sometimes she'll shoot and get stuck underneath and and kind of get beat up there. And you can take her down. She's a weak defensive wrestler, though she's hard to hold down. And she has a low fight IQ. I mean, I don't trust her. I mean, look at her fight against Mackenzie Dern. Like she grappled Mackenzie Dern. Like she was initiating grappling, which was the one thing to stay away from. Now move over Panera. Uh, so she has a split decision loss, she only lost the only loss in a crowd. I watched that fight. I thought she won that fight. So I just want to put that out there. Uh, it's funny because she got the knockout on the, the contender series, so people thinking about a striker, and she's more of a grappler. Her striking is, um, and I don't, I don't want to say it's a weakness because it's definitely not. It's it's it's, but it's her like backup plan. But her striking is starting to come along pretty well. I mean, I would still say it's pretty raw. And I've seen her be gun-shy at times, like really scared to pull the trigger. But when she works, she's such a good athlete that she has natural skills. I mean, she's got good footwork by the way she moves, fast hands, um, good, uh, I'd say, in the pocket. Like, her, her, when she gets her range, she's pretty well. Uh, she doesn't have layers to her striking. Like, she I, she still needs to develop the outside striking and all the way in. But that mid one is... With that, that bag range where you where you work the heavy bag, that seems like she probably put a lot of times in the heavy bag. She has decent power. I mean, we saw her in the last fight in the knockout. Uh, and sometimes she'll just throw to get to the clinch because that's her safe zone. That's where she excels in. She comes from a judo background. A back, excuse me, judo background. She is a judo black belt. She's a high level judokan. Um, she'll beat you up in the clinch too. She'll dirty box you. And then once you start. Thinking about the strikes, that's when she'll step across the hips, throw. She will miss something. She's willing to try things, and that happens from from a, a judo background. But when you miss a throw, you give up your back sometimes. So you got to watch out for that. But she's very good at winning scrambles, even when she does give her back. And she's a submission threat in just her short career. She already has five uh, five first round submissions. I'm kind of down on Marcos. I mean, she's thirty five. She looked terrible in the last three fights. Uh, in fantasy she did face some high-level competition. Like She fought some pretty good girls. But I feel like she's declining, and Panero's on the rise. And as long as Pinero doesn't get out-wrestled, which I don't think she will, I think Panero wins. I say she lands some good shots in the feet, and I also think she wins the takedown battle. So give me Pinero. Give me uh, getting a... You know, this is a tough matchup in her UFC debut, but... I think she gets a unanimous decision. So
0: the main card opens up with a flyweight matchup with uh, Poliana Botelho taking on Luana Carolina Botelho, the eight and three, thirty-two year old Brazilian. Uh, she's three and two in the UFC. Uh, fought just once last year, losing a unanimous decision to Jillian Robertson at UFC Fight Night: Ortega versus Korean Zombie back in October. She'll be taking on uh, Carolina, the 27-year-old uh, from Sao Paulo, is 6-2 and two overall. She is 1-1 one and one since joining the UFC out of the third season, or sorry, the first season of Dana White's Contender Series Brazil. She won her debut by unanimous decision over Priscilla Cachoeira, then lost via a alarming and scary uh, knee bar to Ariane Lipsky last July at UFC Fight Night, Figueiredo versus Benavidez 2, where she appeared to be the last person in the building to realize how much danger her knee was in. Uh, anyway, they come into this fight. Botelho, a substantial favorite. She is out there at minus 225. Carolina around plus 185 as the underdog. Uh, Keith, who do you have in this uh, interesting main card opener?
1: Yeah, I- I'm really surprised having two lower-level fighters in the, in the UFC open up the card. Um, especially, like, it makes no sense coming after Marcos and uh, Pinero. I and mean, Marcos is a much bigger name. Pinero, I think, is a better prospect than these girls. Like, did that fight would make more sense? But uh, what do I know? Uh Elio, she's, she's an aggressive Muay Thai striker. Um, hard body kicks, hard leg kicks. Uh, she showed a pretty solid clinch game uh, in Against Pro Gonzalez, solid takedown defense in that matchup. But if she's taken down, she really struggles on the bottom. Um, I think about she was doing well against Jillian Robinson until Jillian Robinson started taking her down. And then the fight was pretty much over. That it happens. fans it happens to like to a lot of people against Jillian Robinson. Um, but um, when it comes to fights, this is the one I was least interested in. And sometimes you just gotta have to sacrifice film study and this is the one that I sacrificed to film study on that I, I wasn't too intrigued in. Um, move over to Carolina. Long and lengthy fighter. Uh, she's more of a kickboxer. She likes to outbox. She wants to be on the outside and, and, and use a range. Likes to keep kicks to keep her distance. Hard leg clicks. But if you get all the way in on her, she has she can use her height in the in the clinch. But if you get her to the ground, as you mentioned, she's really bad on the ground. Like, She's looks like a fish out of water. As far as prediction, like this is the one I said that I didn't do a lot of film study. I, I kind of had to blitz through one. This is the one I blitzed through. I'll take Botelio with zero confidence. But as far as betting goes, like Botelio should not be as big of a favorite over anybody because she's not that good. Like she, I'm, I'm looking at the odds, as, as you mentioned, she's oh, oh.
0: over two to one favorite. Like yeah, she's she's,
1: she's mo- and she's trending to go bigger. Like like the since they opened up, it's been trending opening up bigger and bigger. Like she might be three to one by the time she shouldn't be a three to one favorite over anybody. So like if I'm betting, I'm betting on Carolina or nothing. Now as far as just for this to get an official prediction, I'll take Battaglio, but with zero confidence.
0: Yeah, I mean this, and I I don't say this to crap on on these fighters i mean they're out there fighting the best they can and and doing the best they can for their careers but neither of these women has a win over a ufc level fighter i mean botelio is three and two in the ufc but she's beaten pearl gonzalez who went zero and two in the ufc and was out shiri kondo lost three straight in the ufc and she was out lauren mueller lost three straight in the ufc and she was out like carlina She beat Priscilla Cachoeira, who I thought at the time was probably the worst flyweight the UFC had ever signed. And then, you know, uh, lost to Ariane Lipsky. I mean, these, I don't know if either of these two will be cut with a loss, but I'd be surprised if either of them was still in the UFC a year from now. They just haven't shown to be UFC level flyweights. Having said that, I mean, they're both strikers with surprisingly good power for the division. From what I've seen of them, Botelio is, you know, a little more, you know, refined based just on that. And really, you know, you you talk about the deficit in film study. I've seen all their UFC fights, and that's kind of the extent of it. And, uh, and Carolina on, uh, contender series. But based on that, I, I think Botelio knocks her out. Give me, uh, Botelio by second round knockout. We move up one weight class and uh, several wide notches in terms of uh, fight stature, as Marab Dwaleshvili and Cody Stamen meet in a match of 135-pound fringe contenders. Billy the Georgian by way of Long Island, is 12 and 4 overall. He is 5 and 2 in the UFC. Uh, most notably, he lost his first two uh, in the octagon, and he's been on a five-fight tear ever since beating Terry and Ware, Brad Katona, Casey Kenny, Gustavo Lopez, and most recently, back in August, John Dodson in a fight that caused Keith to swear off of watching John Dodson fights for the rest of his life. Uh, he'll be meeting uh, Stamen. The 31-year-old from Michigan is 19-3-1 overall. He is 5-2-1 and one in the UFC. He did lose his last fight, and that, but that was against phantom weight's uh, contender Jimmy Rivera, a weight class up on short notice for both men at 145. So make of that what you will. Before that, he did have a win over Brian Kelleher and a majority draw against uh, Songya Dong. The odds favor uh, Dvalishvili pretty heavily here. He is minus 240, where you can get Stamen at plus 200 on the comeback. Keith, you're shaking your head. Uh, are you shaking your head because I brought up the name of John Dodson or because you think something is wrong with this line? Tell me about this fight.
1: Yeah, I think the line is way off. Like, I don't think statements should be, like, um, and nobody should be a negative 240 over statement. Like, the best guys in the division shouldn't be that high. Like, I'm not saying he's he's going to win. I just think he's, I mean, I, I'll start with him. He's looked good as he's moved to 145. Um, he's used a lot of movement. He can cut... Uh, he can cut um, angles really well. He has some fast hands. He's um, added a jab recently to his game. He throws hard, tight hooks in the pocket. He's been adding a like sneaky high kick behind those strikes. He doesn't fight off his back foot well. That's in recently the fight that I've seen him has ex- not not be successful was against Brian Keller when Brian Keller was able to press the action, though it was, wasn't that long in the fight. But when he was able to get forceman's his back foot, I said the last time we, we broke down Stamen, I mentioned that. Uh, he's a good wrestler, he, um, great entries, good at winning scrambles. Um, and, you know, this is a guy that I'm not saying he can match Marab's wrestling, but he definitely has a background there. Now, Marab, I want to say, is he's 5-2 and two in the UFC. I think he should be... Should- should be seven yes. zero. I say. I know. I say it every time we do a Marab fights. I thought he got screwed against Frankie Signs. I guess he got screwed against Ricky Simone. He really could be seven zero, and probably should be high in the UFC rankings. And I just want to put that out there. Uh, Marab is fun to watch. Like it, I know a lot of people hate it. You know, takedown, rinse and repeat. But. People always forget, like, all the stuff he does before that. Lots of movement, reckless abandon, throwing wild winging punches. Like, he looks for the knockout early, you know? And then he's like, all right, I'm going to throw three haymakers, then I'm going to shoot on the hips. <laughs> like, that's what he does. Uh, but he'll throw a spinning back fist. He'll, I don't know, he just throws, he goes crazy, You're flying knees. and And he uses all this stuff to kind of force you back and kind of on the defense. And then that's when he... Shoots him with a takedown where he's relentless on his takedowns, closes the d- distance so well, and he has insane cardio. That's the thing. But d- despite his wrestling, like take away that of wrestling, that wrestling is not his strength. It's his insane cardio, because that his cardio can complement his wrestling. His wrestling can go deep when he's the guy stops fading because he keeps can, can press it on, and we know how wrestling drains guys. Well, uh, if he gets to the fight to the ground, he'll either sit in your guard, half guard, landing up shots. From there. He's comfortable in that position. He has that with, you know, Randy, they always quote Randy Couture, he'd rather sit in half guard. It seems like Morav has the same thing. Uh, that says, for a guy who's such a dominant wrestler, he doesn't have the best control. There's a reason why he has so many takedowns because guys get back to the feet very well. Uh, as far as the prediction is, this is a great matchup. It sh- I think it should be a pick em. I really do. I think it should be a, a pick em. I think there's a lot of things Stamen can do to hurt Murab, especially on the feet. He's a, he's more technically sound. He's tighter. His, his punches are much tighter. Um, he's one that could probably put Murab on his back in the wrestling exchanges. However, I don't know if Staman can keep up with the cardio. Can he fight off the takedown defense, you know, the takedowns for 15 minutes? Can he do that? I don't know. I haven't seen anybody able to do it yet with Murab. So I will see Murab... I think it's going to be fun early or competitive early, and then Marab will do what Merab does, and then he'll you know, three, four minutes in, he's missed a bunch of takedowns, then he finally gets the takedowns. It becomes easier and easier as the fight goes on. So give me Rob by decision. I think it's going to be the fight of the night. Due to the, I think there's going to be some really fun scrambles between Marab and Stamen, but as a betting man, and I know this is not a betting show. There's a lot of really good betting advice shows. I mean, you can go, you can go over to Sherdog and get uh, Jay Petrie's article that he does everywhere there, the prime picks uh, to get, you know, betting odds and betting advice. But if I'm betting on, the, if I was forced to bet on this fight, I'm betting a statement with the, with the, uh, as big of a plus odds he is. So to me, it's, this is a dog of pass play, as they say, as, as the, as the cool hipsters say, <laughs> the cool betting hipsters say. But uh, yeah, give me, give me Mirab in, in my fight of the night.
0: Oh, y- you, you said what, I was going to say like better than I could have because cardio is absolutely what makes everything run for Mirab. Like he's famed as a wrestler probably just cause you know, he looks wrestling and he has a difficult to pronounce last name for most Americans, but his wrestling game only runs the way it does because of cardio. As you pointed out, he's not great at keeping people down. Once he gets them down, it leads to scramble fest. And if he didn't have the gas tank, he does, that would be the kiss of death for him because you know, you're the one getting tired if you're pursuing takedowns and the guy just keeps getting up easily, but instead the other guy's getting uh, tired quicker. It's also what allows him to be such a wild man on the feet. He has good beard. Uh, he uh, isn't afraid of being taken down himself because he's fine scrambling, and he knows it's not going to wear him out, at, at least not as much as the other guy. Those are all things that do work in his favor against uh, Stamen. But yeah, I, I think uh, Stamen's going to take advantage of some of that wildness early on and i I think Marab might get touched a few times early maybe even rung up a little bit he's shown to be extremely durable so i i don't think that's the route to an upset or anything but yeah should be a wild fight should be a great fight but uh give me Marab just by pulling ahead later just by having the better gas tank and the ability to rinse and repeat where stamen you know it's not like he has bad cardio but there's a difference in level here you know they call Marab the machine for a reason I'm picking him to show it and win a uh, decision here. Next up, it is middleweights and a battle of two men who have come roaring back from obscurity to uh, be factors in this division again. It is Sean Strickland against Christoph Yatko. Strickland, the 30-year-old, is 22-3 and overall. He is 2-0 since coming back from a serious motorcycle accident that took him out of the sport for almost exactly two years. He showed back up on the UFC's Halloween card last fall and took a unanimous decision over Jack Marshman. He then turned around two weeks later and uh, knocked out Brendan Allen in a 195 pound catchweight fight. Allen himself, one of the best prospects in the middleweight division. And with that, Strickland announced his uh, presence in the UFC once again in emphatic fashion. Uh, the story of Yachtko, not quite so dramatic, but just as impressive in its own right uh yatko the 31 year old from poland is 22 and 4 overall he is 9 and 4 in the ufc and three years ago he was riding a three-fight losing streak and this at a time when that usually meant a pink slip in the ufc but since then he has won three straights over uh, increasingly tricky opposition in alan amadovsky mark andre barrio and most recently, last May, uh, Eric Anders, whom he beat via unanimous decision at UFC on ESPN 8. Uh, the odds in this one do favor Strickland pretty heavily. He is minus 250. Uh, you can get Yatko as the underdog at plus 210 or plus 215 or so. Keith, uh, who do you like in this one? And uh, how do you think it plays out? Uh,
1: so, yeah, I'm intrigued by this one. And then this, this has some sneaky relevance to the middleweight rankings has a little sneaky relevance to the Sher Dog rankings, where I mean, the winner of this matchup could be taking one of the spots in the Sher Dog rankings, I'm assuming, you yep. know. Um, and you mentioned that Sean Strickland beat Brandon Allen. That was a good win when it happened, but it has aged great, you know, recently yes. as Allen looked great just last week. Uh, Strickland's a kickboxer. He is he's a guy that for a long time we always heard about how talented he was, but never lived up to it. And now we kind of starting to see him live up to it. Now beating Jack Marshman, yeah, that's a great win. But beating Brandon Allen, the way you beat Brand Allen, that's opening your eyes. Uh he fights very well from two distances, either on the outside where he can work all the way in in the in like a clinch area. He's good in those two ranges. Uh, he he used to be accused of being a slow starter And I don't think that's the case anymore I think he's a builder I think he's, it appears that he starts off slow I just think he likes to set traps Find the openings And then he picks up the volume Once he knows what's going to land And that's what it seemed like uh, he did Especially against Josh, uh, Jack Marshman in their fight uh, He's... Got a really good jab. I would I would put it on the elite level, uh, at least his last two fights. Got some solid power. I mean, you see the shot that crumpled over Brandon Allen. Uh, they're just short, not a lot of tells, straight shots. And he's he's a good wrestler. It's, and in the clinch, he can get in the clinch. He can work in the clinch. He can grind you in the clinch. Uh, and he's got some good wrestling and got some good grappling, though we don't see it enough. Because, especially recently, his striking has been so on point. Now, moving over to Yako, southpaw, uh, I would say he's pretty fast, pretty athletic. Um, similar to Strickland, where he's throwing straight punches down the pipe. I like his check right hook coming from the southpaw stance. I would say he lacks power, though. He's not, he's not a like one-punch, knock-you-out kind of guy. Uh, he's been rocked several times. He's been he's been around the block for a while. He's got a lot of miles on him. Uh, he doesn't like being pressured, and he actually he he doesn't handle pressure good at all. He will actually back right up to the fence. It's a um, it's a terrible technique, but he likes to get in the clinch. So if he can use that like them over pursuing to, to help him close the distance, then it would actually work out for him. He likes to grind in there. We've seen him spend, God, it seems like hours in the clinch. I mean, he did it with like the Anders fight and just in the David Branch fight and stuff and just get in the clinch. And and that's because he, he has good hip control. He he controls his hips and his opponent's hips pretty well. He got a couple of leg sweeps in there. And he's good at winning scrambles and scrambles as soon. Now, who am I picking to win? I like Strickland. He looks so good lately. And even though Yako is on a, a little bit of win streak, He hasn't been that active um, compared to Strickland lately. Seemed like not only is Strickland looking great, his confidence seems really building. He wants to be out there as much as possible. He wants to make up for missed time. And I think he has a speed advantage. I think he can avoid the clinch. I think he can use that jab not only as offense, but use it as his first line of defense. When someone's trying to close a distance, you jab him in the face. It's kind of hard to get through. And I think he'll start touching with the jab, start touching the jab, hiding that right hand. And then he's going to land that right hand, which will obviously be open even more against the Southpaw. And I think that'll be the kill switch. So I, give me Strickland. Give me to knock him out in the second round.
0: I I, I love what uh, you put out there about kind of uh, Strickland's offense on on the feet. One thing that I I love about him since he's been back, I mean, for for one thing, when somebody comes back from an injury that takes them away for two full years and you know their knee just got completely shredded, first thing you want to know is, well, I I mean, can you still move on your wheels? Clearly he can. The thing that I like even better is that it appears to have sent him up to middleweight for good. Because really, Sean Strickland has always been dazzling in moments, but his UFC career is really the story of two different Sean Stricklands. Yeah, I mean he's nine and three in the UFC, but really he's like four and three at welterweight and like five and oh at middleweight. Like all three of his losses. And none of them are bad losses. I mean, Santiago Ponzanibio, top ten guy. Elizeo Capoeira, top ten guy, at least at the time. He was like in the middle of a seven fight win streak. And Camaro Usman. That's it. And he still, you know, beat like the you know the Court McGee's and Nordine Talebs of so, the world.
1: Sorry, who did you say, who was the third guy?
0: Uh Camaro Usman?
1: Oh yeah. Now is he doing anything? You said you-
0: I think the other two, good,
1: you, other two guys you saw that you guys were but with that Usman guy, has he done anything?
0: Uh, I think he fought last week. I'd have to look up what happened. Yeah,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I'm just saying. Sorry, like,
1: we're we 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 we're older men. We we have dad jokes. <laughs>
0: well, at at welterweight, Strickland looks like a guy who can beat anyone on any given day. But you know, he did hit his ceiling against kind of the the top tennis guys he took on. At middleweight, that's simply not the case. His power still carries over, as you pointed out. And his speed advantage is even greater, if anything else. And I just don't feel as though he's even at a strength disadvantage there. He's still, like, kind of a tall, rangy guy. I mean, I know he's just like 6'1", but he just looks like he should be taller than that. He's got a wingspan on him. And, uh, he's yeah, he, I think he's a, a even better middleweight than he was a welterweight. So I'm glad to see him kind of buckling in there. And as nice of a story as Yatko has been, Strickland just has all the advantages here. I think the speed differential on the feet is going to be uh, stark. I think the power differential, Yatko can load up and knock someone out, but Strickland has that just effortless power that just comes from mechanics and good technique. Just You can tell that everything hurts. And I think, as you pointed out, he's a builder. I think that's part of why, because just you know, two and a half rounds of just regular kickboxing with the guy just leave you marked up and hurt and, and you're just feeling all of it. Uh, what round did you say? I went
1: second round.
0: All right. I'm going to say Yako makes it to the third. Again, you know, he's on a great streak of his own, but just Eric Anders and, you know, the fighters he's beaten, you know, Mark andre Berrio have not prepared him for what he's going to run into against Sean Strickland. I expect that after a round or so, he's going to be re- reduced to trying to get this thing to the ground any way he can. It's not really what he's built for, and he's not going to be able to do it to Strickland. Strickland knocks him out in the third. Third from the top of this UFC Vegas 25 card, it is a light heavyweight scrap between Yuan Kudalaba and Dustin Jacoby. Uh, Kudalaba, the 27-year-old Moldovan, is 15-6 and with one no contest. He is 5-5. Five and five in the UFC. He fought just twice last year and had a pretty weird year by any standards. Uh, he met Magomed Ankolaev at UFC Fight Night 169 back in February. He lost by TKO in about 30 seconds when his uh, strategy to make it look like Ankolaev had hurt him really badly worked on the ref, leading to an early but sort of justifiably early stoppage. They rematched in October and Ankalaev uh, knocked him out the honest way, still in the first round, uh, putting a definitive end to that weird rivalry. And he will be uh, met by Jacoby. The 33 year old Factory X product is 14 and 5 overall. Dustin Jacoby is 2 and 2 in the UFC across two separate stints with the promotion. He went 0 and 2 quite a few years ago and has been 2 and 0 since his return. Notably, uh, he is. 4-0, including uh, those two UFC wins and an appearance on Dana White's Contender Series since returning from a four-year self-imposed hiatus during which he worked as a professional kickboxer. Uh, Kudalaba is a slight favorite here. He is minus 130. You can get uh, Jacoby at plus 110 as the slight underdog. Uh, I'll just flat out say it. I did not place much stock in Dustin Jacoby, uh, going into his contender series appearance and even coming back from his contender series appearance, like against Justin Ledette. I, I think I did favor him to win just cause Ledette, you know, much love for a Houston guy, but he's just, you know, he he hasn't shown to be able to hang with UFC uh, light heavyweights, but he just, he schooled Ledette And then he uh, schooled a guy that I actually was kind of high on in Maxine uh just back in February Basically, I mean, he's a guy that disappeared into kickboxing for four years, and he came back a transformed fighter. He is an outstanding kickboxer now. His kicks are the real revelation to me. Uh, He destroyed Ledet with kicks, uh, you know, before finishing him off with punches. He's just not the guy that my last memory of him was getting steamrolled by King Mo and John Salter in in Bellator. It's just, you know, a slight difference in odds here, but I'm picking him to beat Iwan Kudalaba. I, you know, Kudalaba to me is just a still pretty raw brawler and pretty, he's pretty raw. Everything for a guy that now has a well over 20 fights. He just, he feels like a five fight veteran. He is a wild brawler on the feet that gets by. Cause he has just numbing power just by being as jacked a guy as he is. Uh, he's a pretty good offensive uh, wrestler when he needs to be just because he is athletic and strong, but he's not a very good defensive wrestler. Uh, Yeah, I I think Jacoby's just going to piece him up on the feet. Kudalov is not going to be able uh, to get, he's not going to be able to respond on the feet. He's not going to be able to get it to the ground, uh, you know, if he wants or needs it to. It isn't much of an upset, but this is my upset special because I feel pretty strongly that this is going to continue the coming out party for Dustin Jacoby. I really like having the presence of a fighter like him in the light heavyweight division. Just he, even though he's not young, he feels like a fresh face. We're desperate for people that have not already fought everybody else in the top 15 or 20 fighters. And he is that fresh face. And he's kind of a, a fresh style compared to a lot of the other guys. Give me Dustin Jacoby by a pretty lopsided decision.
1: Wow. All right. So before I talk about the fight, I want to talk about Justin Ledette. This guy was 3-0 and as a heavyweight. 0-4 at light heavyweight, man. Go back, go back to heavyweight. I don't <laughs> know if he's still in the UFC, but, man... Like, you had a speed advantage at heavyweight. I mean, beyond the size, it was working for you. Uh, anyways, back to, to this fight. Uh, Asama Kudalaba, you know, at this point, we kind of know what we get with this guy. He's crazy explosive, he's extremely aggressive, comes at his opponent like a berserker, throws, throws hard, hits very hard, loads up on everything. If he catches you, He can put your lights out one blow, but he gasses himself out because he's constantly trying to finish the fight. And like, I don't know if he gets paid more money if he finishes it quicker or if he's I I, I don't know. I feel like he's like a Pac-Man when you get the when you hit the little thing and you can eat the ghost and you have to hurry to get them. (laughs) <laughs> like, that's him. Like, that's Kudalabi. Like, he's, you know, you're blinking and it's going to, you know, you're, they're blinking. They're about to end up. So, you're, you know, that's what he wants to do, try to get as many as he can. I don't know what it is. But uh, they constantly, they'll mention his Greco Roman wrestling background. I, we talked about this last time that he was, went against Ankhalaf. Like, you don't ever see it. <laughs> so, I'm just going to ignore that he has it <laughs> because, one, I've seen him out wrestled easily. And two, I just, I don't know what it is. Uh, if he gets on top, though, he's got, like, a little Derek Lewis clubbing grind and pound. So, he probably should use his wrestling more because he's a dangerous guy on top. Now, move over to Jacoby, as you mentioned, the Contender Series guy. felt the same way. When they announced him in the Contender Series, I was like, really? Justin Jacoby? Like, I actually remember, like, how do I know that name? I had to look him up, and I was like, oh, yeah, this guy fought in the UFC. Like, oh, he hasn't fought in, like, four years. Like, Oh, yeah, he's like in his 30s. Like, what the hell? Why, why are they adding this? Uh, but he's done well as he moved up. He, I mean, he's he is undersized as he was a former middleweight. But the first thing that jumps out to me is besides his kickboxing offensively is his defensive skills. He's he's hard to hit because he has two really good lines of defense. First is his lateral movement. He uses his footwork well. He moves away from shots. Even if you hit him, there's some, a lot of times they're like glancing shots as he's moving away. And the second line of defense he uses is he parries punches. So he's got he uses his hands well and and i've I've talked about parry and punching, so i' am sure a lot of people who listen to this knows what I'm talking about. If you don't, hit me up on on uh, on Twitter and I'll, I'll try to explain what what parrying and punching is. but he, he and then on the offense side, he's very you know you see his glory kickboxing experience. He cuts angles when he attacks. He doesn't come straight on the straight on the line. He'll throw like you know, his lead left will be on the straight line, and then he's cutting to the right. To throw, you know, to throw his right uh, jab, as we've talked, it's kind of been a theme tonight. A lot of like, really good jabbers on this, you know, guys who throw jabs. He's one of them. Everything comes off his jab. He sets up the jab. Then the straight punches come right down the pipe to follow. He throws combinations. I love that he just touches with it. And then when an opening. That's when he unloads, and that's where you see the highest level of boxing. You see that in boxing all the time. Guys don't load up on everything. They touch, 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 and then when they explode, like a guy like Canelo Evers, he doesn't throw hard every single punch, and then when it's there, then he unloads. But also, he's got a whole kicking game too, especially the calf games. He go, he goes after the calves. I um, mean, go back to the Justin Ledette, your boy Justin Ledette, took him out with light kicks. He was kicking his calf out. It only took like two or three minutes, and he was he was done. As far as on the ground – It's been a long time since we've really seen him challenge on the ground, but when we did, it was he was a weak wrestler. But he had a pretty good getup game and guys struggled to keep him down. So as far as prediction goes, this is going to come down to Jacoby if he can handle the three minutes balls to the wall style of Kudalaba. And that is to me is a huge if. Like that I'm not glazing over that. Like like if Kutalaba runs at him and knocks him out in like a minute. That would not surprise me. If he knocks him out in 20 seconds, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, however, I'm with you, man. I think Jacoby's going to survive it. And then I think Kutulaba's going to slow down. And when you have a high-level striker like Jacoby start jabbing you and leg kicking you into oblivion, it's going to be a scary thing. And I w- wouldn't be surprised if he stops Kutalaba with uh, leg kicks. You know, I'm going to say he does. I'll, you went with the upset special. This is also my upset special is I've also taken uh, Mr. uh, Dustin Jacoby, and I want to say he stops him with leg kicks.
0: We now come to the co-main event. It is a featherweight scrap featuring the veteran Cub Swanson versus the red-hot up-and-comer Giga Jikadze. Swanson, the 37-year-old Californian, is 27-11. and He is 12 and 7 in the UFC. Uh, most recently, he has been on a two-fight winning streak. Uh, he defeated Crone Gracie by unanimous decision at UFC Fight Night, Jan Jacek versus Watterson back in October of 2019. And then just this past December, knocked out Daniel Pineda in uh, the second round at UFC 256, Figueroa versus Moreno. That snapped a career-long four-fight losing streak for Swanson. Granted, all four fighters during that losing streak were top ten fighters, and several of them, like Brian Ortega and Frankie Edgar, were more like top five fighters. But nonetheless, uh, he has come back from possibly the brink of losing his job to, uh, you know, be right in the thick of things again, and he is in the thick of things against Chikadze, who, you know, somewhat quietly maybe just a a step behind the Kevin Hollins and Kamzat Shemaevs of the world was one of the sports uh, breakout stars of 2020. He came into the UFC at the end of 2019 and has won five straight fights since then. Uh, he defeated Brandon Davis, Jamal Emmers, Irwin Rivera, Omar Morales, and most recently last November, James Krause, not that James Krause, the other one, but he knocked him the hell out in about four minutes. Uh, Interestingly, this is a guy who lost on the second season of Dana White's Contender Series and obviously did not get a contract at the time, just kind of dusted himself off, took two fights in Gladiator Challenge out in California and made his way back to the UFC, uh, you know, uh, on his own steam. The odds do slightly favor Chikadze here. Uh, He is minus 180 or so, where Swanson is uh, plus 160 if you like him as the underdog. Uh, Keith, we were just talking you know, off air about this before we started recording that, you know, you're high on Takadze, so am I, but, I, you know, I think you might even have a, a little more uh, enthusiasm for his game than, than me. And then it's hard not to root for Cub Swanson, a guy who's been on, at the door, you know, so many times. And, you know, like, who have you gotten this one? You know, is Swanson a live dog? You know, wh- what's your thought here?
1: Yeah, it's, this is a tough fight, Because I think it's a tough fight because there's two things. One, we haven't really seen T'Cossie tested on the ground in a long time. So that's obviously a a big concern. But also, you mentioned Swanson. He's, you know, two for his last six. And you also mentioned, well, look who the four losses were to absolute studs. Top guys in the division, guys fighting for the title. So it's hard to really assess where Cub Swanson is. You know, he beat two up-and-comers you know so there's not like he didn't take like one step below those top 10 guys he took a big step down so it's it's really hard but more concerning to me than his record recently is that he's 37 like that still bothers me cuz you know guys fall off a cliff and it happens to everybody other than Tom Brady like that's it and you know when I look at his skills there's still a lot of skills I like to see I mean This is a guy who truly can strike from both stances. He's always had great footwork. He's always been elusive. He's always been very light on his feet. He's always had great head movement, um, especially considering he keeps his hands basically down by his waist, so he needs that head movement to be on point. He's had a high output. Um, I mean, you think about the... uh, Korean Superboy, the the fight he had with him that was just nuts. Uh, in one of the greatest fights up there, top five of all time. He's got sting on his shots. I wouldn't say Cub Swanson is a heavy hitter, but he's got sting. Like if he catches you clean, he's, he's gonna hurt you. You know, he might not put you out, but you're gonna take a step back. Uh he's he's always been impressive. Like this cub Swanson is one of these guys who's got so many skills. But he's never, it's weird that he's always been like the next tier down because he's got some high-level skills. He's one of the best guys at striking backing up. Like he can land, it's a rare feat, and he's one of the guys who can do it. He's always attacked the body. And then he's so freaking tough. It's Cubs Watson. I mean, he's he's gotta be in the fight no matter what. Even the guys that are much better than him, he's gonna make it a fight. Uh, he's got great heart. Uh, he's a good grappler, though. He's not a wrestler, and he he has been taken down by high level wrestlers, and he struggled to get up. But when he's on the offensive side, he's pretty good. But we don't see it all. Like it's the offense happens when he's scrambling somebody. Namuwa Takashi, extremely highly decorated kickboxer. You see that instantly. He's light on his feet. He is a counter striker, and he's so well at fainting to draw out the attacks. Um, and he's so poised. He's so calm. He sees everything and he faints with his hands, his shoulders, his hips. Like he does everything. He he really sets him up. He's a he's a master at what he does. Uh, and he's a sniper with his accuracy. He also can strike from both stances. He has fast hands. He's got a sting jab. Like his jab is not just a range finder as some people. He has as is Josh Gersh was talking about last week with Kamar Usman, he has a stinging jab. Like he hurts you with his jab. He can put you out with his with his jab, and his overhand right. He he'll start having you worry about the jab, and then his overhand right is just an absolute kill switch. It's um, he and then what I love about him is he has two levels to it. He has he throws it from two different ways. He so never really knows. He'll throw it straight down the pipe, fast, short, not a tell, or then he'll kind of dip and and just almost whip it over the top. They get overhand right like a. You know, and you know, we think about overhand, right? We think about like Chuck Dell or something, it's, it's tighter than that, and it has like a whip to it. And he does it so he tacks him both. So, you never know what angle that right hand is coming from. Uh, kicks to the body, he'll tack the body with kicks. And we've we've hear we keep hearing about his improvement in grappling that he's been, you know, really really focused on his grappling. I don't know. Last time I really saw him on the ground, he looked terrible. Uh, Brandon Davis was kind of giving it to him. Brandon Davis looked like was crazy. Um but in that time when he ended up top, he actually beat up Brandon Davis from ground and pounds. So as far as a prediction goes, I mean if if Cubs Watson, and and this may be the case, like this might be when we see it, if Cubs Swanson really press the action to get to the ground, then I would I'd feel much confident in in picking Cubs Watson. However, I haven't seen it enough. So I feel the same way about this fight as I do Brandon Marcos versus uh, Pinero fight. I feel like Swanson is on the decline, though there isn't much proof to that. I just, based on his age and the wars he's been in, I'm assuming he's declining. And I feel like Jakazi's on the rise. And if he touches Swanson, I think he can maybe put him out, which is a would be an incredibly impressive feat because you just don't put out Cub Swanson. And uh, I think it's time it's going to happen. So give me Jokasi. I see he's going to knock him out in the first round.
0: Oh, man. Stealing all my thunder. I should have gone first here because <laughs> uh, I, I'm also going to step out on a limb and basically call for something that we've never seen. I mean, everybody obviously remembers the Jose Aldo, like double clutch flying knee knockout of Cub Swanson. It's really what put Aldo uh, – it's what vaulted Aldo into a – into a star, at least to the hardcore fans that
1: watch WBC. It was a decade ago. ago. Yeah.
0: And it's still, to this day, the only time that Cub Swanson has been knocked out. Which is like, incredible. He, he's Which not really some chinny dude. Yeah. Well, you talked about the Du Ho-, Ho Choi fight. He's been in some absolute wars and that is still, to this day, the only time he's been knocked out with strikes. Uh, I've, I've actually been kind of impressed by, uh, by Swanson's return. Uh, like his 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 two fight winning streak, because you know as we both just discussed, I mean he's he's only been cleanly knocked out once, but he's be, always been a guy that you, could be caught on the ground. Like, I mean he lost a bad fight to Jens Pulver by first round submission that he had no business losing. You know that was supposed to be like a get him over moment for uh, for Swanson, and against Chrome Gracie and Daniel Pineda, he just wasn't ever in any trouble there. I I mean, Crone Gracie, one of the best grapplers of this generation. And then Pineda, a guy who was a rightful uh, underdog, but he has the grappling equivalent of the puncher's chance. He is a venomous, aggressive, submission-first grappler who's caught a lot of people that on paper he shouldn't have. And, and Swanson has navigated all that with no problems. Against Jakadze, yeah, all the advantages on the feet here, I think, go to Chikadze. If I knew that Swanson was going to commit to getting this fight to the ground early and often, I might feel differently about it. But I think he's probably going to test his chances on the feet, and he's not going to like what he gets. Uh I think Chikadze is going to hurt him uh early. He's going to get Swanson, you know, wrung up, out of sorts, I don't know about first round. I'm going to go with second round, but yeah, give me Giga Chikaze to just drop Cubs once and buy an accumulation of damage. And then, I mean, it could be the, uh, the Frankie Edgar thing where he jumps on him, softens him up and, and chokes him out. But it being Giga Chikaze, I'm just going to say, he's going to jump on him and finish him with strikes. Give me Giga Chikaze by second round TKO. With that, we come to our main event. A light heavyweight scrap featuring Dominic Reyes and Yuri Prohaska. Reyes, the 31 year old, is 12 and 2 overall. He is 6 and 2 in the UFC. Both of those losses have come in his last two fights, however. He lost a unanimous decision to John Jones uh, last February at UFC 247 in a very close fight that many observers thought Reyes won. He then came back and fought Jan Blachowicz for the title vacated by Jones at UFC 253 in September and did not fare nearly as well, getting busted up by legendary Polish power in the first round and knocked out in the second. He will be taking on Prochaska, the 28-year-old from the Czech Republic and former Ryzen Fighting Federation light heavyweight champ, he is 27-3-1 overall, He is 1-0 in the UFC, having knocked out Volkan Uzdemir early in the second round of their meeting at UFC 251. Uh, Prohaska is a slight favorite here. He is minus 130, where you can get Reyes around plus 110 as the underdog. Uh, I'm going to throw this uh, fight to you for your prediction first, but uh, something I just wanted to point out before that is, you, again, just referring back to the column I wrote this week because it's what's on my mind as I think about these fights, this is a great example of a fight that, even though it's pretty closely matched, I mean, you look at the odds, they're near a pick'em. the stakes, like the the risk and reward, are very different for the two guys involved. If Yuri Prohaska beats Dominic Reyes convincingly on Saturday, he might well be fighting for a title in his next fight. That is not the case for Reyes, no matter what he does to Prohaska. That loss to Boho is just, is too fresh. Also, because Prochaska came over to the UFC with a Ryzen belt over his shoulder and a six-fight win streak over pretty much UFC-level fighters kind of hanging from his belt, even if Reyes beats him, Prochaska's probably taking on another contender four months from now. If Prochaska beats Reyes, the UFC might have to look outside the top ten for his next opponents. Like, this, this feels like a last chance for Dominic Reyes to stay in the immediate title discussion. Whereas for Prohaska, just the rewards are greater and the risk is not as great. Tell me, you know, if you see any truth or any sense in that. And then tell me how you see this fight playing out.
1: You know what? That's such an interesting point. I mean, like, here's my, his next fight might be against Mike Rodriguez if he loses, you know? Yeah. And think about how compelling that is, considering just two fights ago, he, he fought John Jones for the title in a fight that.
0: Two-thirds of the media. I, I looked at it. Two-thirds two thirds of the media scored
1: I, I it for... Uh, I thought Reyes won.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, I would say, the, you know, you said media, as majority of fans. You know, it was... It would have been, you know, not a I mean We throw historic upsets. It would have been that. But not even just that. It just been a crowning jewel of a moment. Because John Jones is going to lose. It's going to be the Fabrizio Verdium taking out Fatal Man. It was, that was, we thought, was the moment. Uh, it, it's a really good point He's fighting for relevance in the division Hard Now uh, who I think is going to win This really really intriguing matchup It's a it's it's one of the heavy It's one of the headlining car Fights that I've been really excited For a while because I really don't know How it's going to play off and I feel like I feel that I feel the Weight of what's going on in this matchup And I love that um, I'll start with Reyes He's he's a great athlete. He really is. He's very very athletic. He moves so well, very explosive. Southpaw, uh, good attacks. And he attacks with kicks. Attacks with punches. Uh, he's got a deadly left hand. Uh, he handles pressure very well because he has a similar game to Conor McGregor. He has a step back game, fade back game. We want to say however you want to say it. You will know, use your pressure to get. He uses his big. You know, he's got big, long legs. He can kind of step back, and then he steps back and then springs back forward, with his uh, powerful left hand that I said was deadly. That's what he did to Ovince St. Pru at the at the buzzer. It's what he got Chris Weidman over pursuing on. It's that that's his number one weapon. But he also has tons of kicks, and he's got power in those kicks. He got power in his hands. He got power in his kicks. I mean, think about what got him on the UFC. Radar it was that high kick in the LFA uh, He does really well at He at, you know, because he's he's got long legs and he's so quick all, But he does really well at darting in and out of the pocket very quick uh, He has slowed down at times. I mean we saw him slow down against over St. Peru. He's been hittable and we saw that against Jan Bohovitz. He back straight up. We saw that against John Um He can be too left hand happy we saw against uh, he, he doesn't like to fight in the clinch. He prefers fighting from range, but he did show an, enough against John Jones that it's not necessarily a weakness or it's just not a preference. Uh, he has at times overthrown his punches, which leaves him uh, to be taken down. Um, but if you get in on his hips, he does feel, it used to be a weak takedown defense. Now it's been a strength of his. I mean, he, I think about when he was taken down, I'm just, even though it was extremely briefly, he was taken down by Chris Warman. He was taken down by Volkan Ustime. He was taken down by Ovin St. Pru. He was taken down by Jeremy Kimball. But what I love about him is it seems like he's, he, he's addressed that. John Jones tried over and over again and couldn't take him down. And he's added a Travis Brown style elbows to his game, which is huge for a guy of his height. Uh, we haven't seen much of offensive wrestling, though he does have a little bit of a wrestling background. Um, when he has been taken down, he scrambled back to his feet. Um, he's just, he's, he's still, it's weird because he's got so much talent, but he still feels like a raw pro- product. Like he he's all athleticism and speed, which is the case that's something that can in an instant be done when you lose that, like we've seen it with guys, someone like Shogun. Like once you lose that just a th- split second of speed, the whole it's like a house of cards. You pull one card out there, everything's gonna fall when you rely on that. Uh, move over to Yuri Prozaska. It's funny because he's such a he's so different in his style. He's he's very unorthodox. He uses a lot of movement, not just movement laterally with his feet but a lot of, like, upper body, shoulder movement. He's very herky-jerky. Uh, a little bit of Keith Jardine. Not saying exactly, like, the same, similar. But, I mean, he uses a lot of movement. Defense. And they're not shoulder rolls. They're just weird. Like, weird things he does. Uh, he switches stances a lot. Uh, when he, But when he commits to attack... And I think this is this kind of distraction. I think he just kind of stays busy, stays busy. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What is he going to do? And then suddenly, when he, he strikes... Um, it surprises you. but when he commits to attack, he really sits on his punches, which generates big power, which puts guys out. I mean, like we saw it against Uh, he will go to the body. he keeps his hands low though. He, and even he, when he's doing his target jerks his hands would kind of be a little low. He's also open to leg kicks. I go back to the uh, CB Dalloway fight I and mean, made show up and CB Dalloway was doing well, and he's not known for his kicks. he was actually doing well with leg kicks. Uh, and I actually think he l- lost. I think it was the second round is when he put out Osemir. I think he lost the first round. I think Osemir was actually doing pretty well against him. Uh, takedown defense it, it is it, a long time ago. We saw him taking down a lot. I don't know if he's fixed that. I haven't seen it. I mean, he keeps knocking guys out in <laughs> very quick matches. match. It's hard to know if he's fixed it. Kind of like what we were talking about with Francis Um, uh, But though, even going back to like the King Mo, it's like the first time before King Mo. Came up, would take him down, but he did well to get back to his feet. So that's good. As far as the prediction goes, this comes down to, to me, really, and I'm probably in the minority. This really comes down to which Reyes shows up. If the guy that beat John Jones or, or the guy who fought OSP shows up, I think Reyes wins. I think he's too quick. I think he's too athletic. I think, uh, and Projaska is a guy who's, who's kind of been the faster fighter, and he's not going to be able to. F- He's not going to be able to match Reyes' speed. But if he's the guy that f- came out really flat, like he did against Ustermair. yeah, I know one decision, but he came out really flat. He came, I mean, in his title defense, I mean, sorry, that's, that's how much I thought he beat John Jones. I called it title defense. In his title matchup against Jan Bohovic, he looked really f- flat. If that guy shows up, Brzezowski's going to smash him. So, who do, I, who do I, the question is, who am I picking? I'm not completely sold on Prochaska. I said it last time. I mean, I picked him to lose last time, and obviously that didn't work out. I I think I'm going to go with a higher ceiling guy, and I think that, and I know I'm probably a minority. I think most people would say Pachaska's a high ceiling. I think it's Reyes. I mean, when you beat, when you arguably beat the greatest fighter of all time, you, he showed what he could be that night. I think it shows up this time. And this is not one of those Alexander gusts that probably won one round and people, you know, people exaggerate how well he did. He, I thought he won three rounds, maybe four. So I think Reyes shows up. I want him to show up because I, I, I want that backstory of he, him beating John Jones. So give me Reyes. And you know what? I'm going to say he does it big. I'm going to say Reyes knocks him out in the second round.
0: Hey, I am, I'm definitely with you on whoever wins this one win, wins big. Like if, if the best Reyes we've seen shows up. I think he's going to expose the holes in Perazka's game that nobody's, I mean, nobody's really shown him up for yet. You know, at least recently. I mean, he got out wrestled by King Mo like six years ago or something, but, uh, but if the, if the, the wrong Ray shows up. Yeah. I, it, either way, if I were a betting man, I would take this on, you know, finishes before the start of the third round. Uh it's just hard for me to pick that Reyes to show up. I loved how many times in a row you had to say, like we saw in the Blahovich fight. Because I feel as though in about six minutes, he just showed so many deficiencies in Reyes's game. Like even before the actual knockout, like the, how badly he marked him up with kicks that Reyes couldn't. I mean, he couldn't get out of the way of, which, I mean, if you're in the right range, it's kind of hard to get out of the way of a body kick, but never countered in a way that made Blahovich stop throwing them. Yeah, like, God, like I just wanted to curl up in the corner and cry when I saw like the bruising on Reyes' side, which was just instant. Uh, that is something that Prohaska can do. I am disturbed by the Uzdemir fight because even though what we see now is just that highlight where he completely flatlined him. You're right. Uzdemir won the first round, and even that doesn't bother me that badly because Uzdemir is another guy who, at his very best, is a top-five-level fighter but just doesn't show up sometimes. But when he hurt Prohaska, Prohaska's reaction was just to swing wildly and try to get it all back. If he does that against Reyes and Reyes is poised, he's the Reyes who becomes a sniper as he's backing away from someone rushing at him, Prohaska's going to be face down in the first round. Again, I just don't know if I'm picking that to happen. So we both seem to agree on kind of what the general dynamic is. You're picking the right rays to show up. I'm picking the wrong rays to show up. Give me Yuri Prohaska by uh, round two TKO, and he goes to, I think it, it'll be 25 knockouts in 28 career victories or something. But yeah, the train keeps a rolling. And while there are some eras where he might not have gotten to a light heavyweight title shot, he's going to be the right guy at the right time, the fresh face the finisher and yeah, Roscoe wins. And for all we know he is fighting for a belt next.
1: Let me ask you this question before we hang up. What would be better for the UFC? And I I'm not think... saying that I'm not saying they're rude for some of them. I'm saying generally yeah, no, speaking, no, no. as a promoter.
0: Sure. You, you kind uh, of something. I would slightly say Reyes, you know, he's, he's, a bit of a charismatic figure. I mean, there's a reason that he's in Toyo tires commercials, even though he's never actually won a title. Uh, He is a magnet that might pull John Jones back into the division. Like if, if Dominic Reyes is wearing the UFC light heavyweight title and he can say, Hey, I think I beat you. Most of these people think I beat you. That's the kind of thing that could pull John Jones into a mega fight. The UFC has got to like that, but it's not like they lose if Prohaska, you know, does well. Like, I think it's fairly win-win for them. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, that will conclude the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC on ESPN 23, Reyes versus Prohaska. Uh, We certainly appreciate you listening. For Keith Schillen, I am Ben Duffy. Make sure to check us out either through the SureDog front page or the uh, directly on the SureDog YouTube page immediately after the main event. For our live breakdown we will take your questions and comments in the live chat uh those typically go for an hour and a half to two hours uh kind of depending on how much there is to talk about and how many questions you have uh but between now and then enjoy the rest of your week enjoy the fights and thank you once again for listening